October the 16th is a glorious day in the history of the church. Certainly a glorious day in the history of our church. Um, yes, it is my, my birthday, but that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, what the 16th of October is celebrated for is uh, Reformation Day. And of course, what we remember on the 16th of October is that Martin Luther in 1517 uh, was so appalled by uh, the way that the church was forgetting about the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that came and died for sinners. And it's only by putting our trust in him and knowing his great love of us that we're saved. He was mortified. He was terrified that that good news was being robbed from the world, not being preached by the church. And in fact, they were preaching the opposite of the gospel, the anti-gospel, if you will, which is that you're saved by your good works. You're saved not by repentance, but by your actions. You're, you're saved not by faith, but by doing good deeds. Now, why is that relevant? Well, for those of you that have been with us um, since the beginning of, this, of the fall, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Love Your Neighbor. And if we were to sum up the whole of the Christian message, what is Christianity all about? I would argue that you could sum up the whole of that in those three words, love your neighbor. And yes, that's a call to us to go out and love our neighbors, but at the heart of it, as we'll see, it's first and foremost the fact that God has came and loved us. Loved us. Though we're bad neighbors, but he's the good neighbor who loves us sinners. Now, one of the difficulties or one of the negative and, and unintended side effects of talking a whole lot about going out and loving your neighbor and loving your enemy and serving them and looking after them and taking care of them and pouring yourself out for, for, for them is that if we're not careful, we can begin to take our good works and turn those into the way without even trying to turn those into the way that we think that we are saved. We take these good things that we do and we begin to use them as referendums on whether or not God loves me or not. The more I'm doing that's good, the more he loves me. The less I'm doing that's good, the less he loves me. Now, what's fascinating is, is that no one taught you how to do that. No one taught me how to think that way. Uh, that's the default of our hearts. We're always going to bend towards not being convinced that we're sinners. Believe it or not, my times with uh, non-Christians and just anybody, I don't, it, the hard part of my job is not convincing people that, that they're sinners. The hard part of my job is convincing them that they can't save themselves through their good works. It's, it's, it's kind of like this when the first car that I bought, right? I was right out of law school and I really wanted to impress people because I was a lawyer, right? And I had to get a car worthy of my status. And so of course, the 1989 Volvo station wagon was exactly what I wanted to be, be about. And so I bought this, this used station wagon. It was used. It was still shouldn't have bought it for all kinds of reasons. Um, but one of the things I noticed about the car when I drove it off the lot is no matter what I would do, it would always pull to the left. That's not a political statement. Okay, um, we always pull to the left, pull to the left. I get the alignment done. I got the tires changed. But no matter what happened, it was built into the car. There was something deeply bent and twisted in the uh, chassis of the automobile 
that it, you couldn't be corrected. So, so the moment you kind of sort of took your hand off the wheel and always pulled to the left. Well, that's the way that our hearts are. The moment we stop hearing about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts are going to begin to pull toward pleasing God through our works. So my goal to, today, using this strangely comforting passage, it's probably not comforting when you first hear it, but this strangely comforting passage from uh, Matthew chapter 25 to help us as we're walking out our ministries, uh, as we're neighbors and as we're loving our neighbors, that we don't fall into this trap of thinking that we are loved by our good deeds. So what's happening here? Well, um, this is part of a larger teaching section that uh, Jesus is giving on the last day, on judgment day, on that day when he returns to, to uh, judge both um, the living and the dead, to judge both believers and non-believers. And there we will all sit in front of the great judgment seat of Christ. And then we have this at first glance, very terrifying thing, right? And he will place the sheep on his right. So you're right. So he'll place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to, to those on his right, come who are blessed by my father and here the kingdom pre prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do these things? When were you hungry? When did we feed you? Or when were you thirsty? And when did we give you a drink? And when did we see you a, a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and in a clothing? When did we do these things? And then Jesus says back, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And then, of course, he goes on to, to say the opposite, right? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said it, not me. Um, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he answered them saying, truly I say to, to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. Now, probably if you're like me, certainly when we talked about this in our life group, we all read this passage. Everybody sort of looked up, just condemned, just totally nailed to, to the wall with this great fear of failure. Which one describes you? Well, I have to be honest, the, the latter one de describes me, or so we thought, right? And if we're not careful, we can look at this Parable in the context of those that do good are the sheep. Those that do bad or don't do good are the goats. And therefore, is this really teaching that, you know, all this faith stuff is one thing, but it's our actions that really matter? Well, what I would like to offer to you today is, is this curious 
going to take a little while for our brains to get around it because they don't naturally th think this, this way. But what Jesus is talking about here is, is, is not that those that do good without faith are saved or those that do bad are not saved. What he's saying is, is that those that he has made his own, those that he has pulled into his family, those that he has loved into his kingdom are given brand new hearts. And as an apple tree produces apples, so his people do these kinds of things without any expectation of getting anything back. Likewise, those who have not been made his own, those who have not put their trust in, in him, have not been given new hearts. And they will not produce the fruit in keeping with what it means to be in his family. Where do I get where do I get this from, right? Well, it's here in, in the text, if you read closely. Look at verse um, 34. Look at verse thir 34 right there at the top of page 831. Then, then the king will say to, to, to those on his right, the sheep, Come who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, there are two fascinating grace words there, right? Two fascinating grace words. The first word is blessed. The word blessed simply means that someone out of the goodness of their own heart chooses to pour out blessings upon you. You can do nothing to require someone to bless you. You cannot do enough good, good works to uh, uh, legally bind them to give you a blessing. The blessing is always a choice of the giver to the receiver because the giver wants you to know how much he loves you. And in this case, the first bit of evidence is the fact that the king speaks to, to them as the blessed ones. What does he bless them with? Well, he's blessed them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been poured down upon them. Their heart of stone is taken out and their heart of flesh is put in. And now they begin to truly love their neighbor as themselves, even their enemies, as we talked about last week. But that's our first word. Our second word means the same thing. These are intentional words Jesus is using here. Um, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Well, as many of you know, it was a dark chapter in my life. I used to practice law, okay? Um, and I've, I've, I've repented thoroughly of all of that, right? Uh, but um, what that means is if, is if you know anything about the way that wills work and trusts work, is that an inheritance is always a gift from the person that writes the will to other people. I, I do not have a vast fortune, right? But, when, but, but one day I will write a will and I will leave my most, my most valued possessions, my theology books. I will give those to people, right? And I will give them to whoever I want to, not because they have done things in their life to require me to do that, but because they're mine, it would be my great joy to give you these great treasures of my heart. And you see what Jesus Christ is saying here is that when we come to judgment day and we see the works and, and our works are shown and we begin to serve others through what we've done, what he will say is, 
You're my child. You see, all those good works aren't what saved you. All those good works are what happens when one is saved. The, the great um, Anglican reformer, Thomas Cranmer, said this. He said, we're saved by faith alone. But when we're saved, faith never comes alone. It always comes with good works. I've used this example. I've used a, a law example. I want to use a family example now. I'm so grateful that Lizzie, my wife, that my children have her DNA. That's a good thing, right, in every possible way. Um, most, if not all, of their great traits are from their mother, save one. It's the greatest inheritance I could ever give my children, my ability to dance. <laughs> if you haven't seen me, you're laughing. Folks that have seen you have said, yes, that's absolutely true. It's a beautiful thing. But what is so much fun is when my 17-year-old daughter gets up on stage for her for her theatrics, actually, there's, this is a side story. Uh, uh, I raised my child up in the way of a break dancing from her earliest days. And, um, and uh, when she was four, it was 2000 and, um, it was 2009, I guess. So I guess she, she was six or seven. Anyway, Michael Jackson had just died. And so the TV was showing, you know, Michael Jackson video after Michael Jackson video after Michael Jackson video. And Charlotte was standing there. Charlotte wasn't a still child. She was just watching it, captivated. And it was the, uh, it was the Beat It video, if you could remember that, right there in the parking garage. And Charlotte's watching it. She's watching him dance. And she goes, Mommy, which one's Daddy? <laughs> Greatest compliment my child has ever paid me. That anyone can ever pay you. But that's the culture in which she was brought up in, right? But there's this, but there's that. But she's also got, you know, my dancing jeans. And, and so when I see her on stage and she's dancing and she's moving and she's doing these things, I'm like, yes, that, that child is my child. She favors me. She moves like me. She thinks like me. She dances like me. And in the same way. That's what we have here. That's what we have here. So, a couple of application points. What does this mean for us, right? How is this, you know, I promised to say that this was comforting in some way. Well, where's the comfort in this? Well, the comfort in this is this. How many of us in this room struggle, if we're honest, struggle for assurance that we are saved? How many of us in this room struggle for a sign that actually we are his blessed we are going to inherit his kingdom because he's granted it to us. How do we know? Well, we have a faith and that's important. But if we're honest, our faith can kind of wax and wane, can it? We're doing fine and then some massive tragedy hits our lives. And we ask deep questions and the quietness and the stillness of the middle of the night and the darkness of the night. Our hearts are just screaming out, God, are you really there? So our faith is important, but if we only base our, our knowledge and our assurance of being saved in our faith, then it's not going to be enough. But what we have here is Jesus telling us that when he makes us his own, when he gives us a new heart by filling us with the Holy Spirit, he not only gives us a faith, but he gives us actions. He gives us a heart that loves others. One of the fascinating things we talked about in our life group, and we're not talking about how good we are, because it's actually quite shocking. We can have these 
good thoughts was that um, if you're ever sort of walking down the street, and you just have this overwhelming sense of compassion for, for someone. If all of a sudden you're loving someone that you thought it would, would be impossible to love, you are sacrificing your own finances, sacrificing your own time to love those in prison or who are sick or whoever it might, might be. And you look back and you said that, you know, 20 years ago, I would have never even thought about that. Am I perfect in it? No. But you can see the Lord working in you. So if that's you this day and you're worried about this, you're worried, am I saved? The good news of the gospel is, yes, you have to have faith. But also, do you feel in your heart, maybe in incremental measurements, that you love your neighbor more than you did last week, last month, last year, last decade? If that's you, then take comfort that even in your darkest moments of faith and doubt, the Lord is at work in you. And then that brings us to the second point of comfort. Every single one of us, while we are still saved, are still sinners. That's a Martin Luther quote if there ever was one, right? Simultaneously saved and sinners. Yes, we have a new heart, but that new heart is trying to keep the Volvo on the road. It's still steering off to selfishness. It's still veering off, maybe not as badly, but that's still the bit. It's the mystery of, of, of what it means to be a Christian in this world and in this body with this heart and, and this mind. And I think the reason why, if we're honest, certainly me, when I heard these two, I'd say, well, I fall in the second category. I'm an absolute failure. Well, of course, the good news is we can always grow into the image of Jesus Christ. But we can't be perfect. We can't be perfect. Even our best motives are tainted with sin. So that's the first application, mainly to, to those of us that would consider ourselves Christians. Take comfort. If you see the slightest bit of what Jesus is talking here about the sheep, know that you are his beloved and you cannot lose him and he will never let you go. But there might be others of us out here, which you're, maybe you're curious about the Christian faith. Maybe you are angry at the church, whatever it might be. Maybe you see the hypocrisy of, of the church not living into the standard. Maybe there's others of you which are just like, I want to be this kind of person. I, I, I don't believe in Jesus, but I feel the weight of his of my sin on me. Can I be reconciled? Can I ever be this kind of a person? And of course, the good news of Jesus Christ to us sinners is that all of our failure in the past can be 100 percent erased past, present and future. Simply by trusting that Jesus was good enough for all of us. Jesus is the one who truly never turned away a stranger, never turned away a hungry person in need. He's the one that lived into the standard perfectly, thus winning us entrance into the kingdom of God and all that we have to do to take hold of this, this beautiful inheritance is to simply say, Lord, I can never be good enough. In fact, I've only been too bad for it. 
But thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing that which I could not do. And now I sit and I rest and I trust and I have faith that you have done what I could not do. And by your work, not mine, I am saved. And you know what will happen when you begin to live into that reality? You'll have a heart that loves. You'll have a heart that without even trying will begin to look for hungry people to, to feed thirsty people to, to give water to. Without even trying to become a good person, the Holy Spirit will create you into someone that you did not think you could ever be. So, sheep and the goats. If you're a sheep, take comfort if you see these things working in you. If you feel like you're a goat, Know that our Savior Jesus Christ says, come. Come and put your trust in me, Jesus says. And I will transform you into my beloved sheep. And I will never let you go. That's a promise for every person in this room. And that is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.